show for you this evening. It's all going down faster than Building 7 and the Chinese Hospital, by the way, tonight. We will discuss a plethora of topics, and we have a very special guest in the house. Oh yes, Mr. Brad Olson will be joining me here in a moment. Matter of fact, let's bring him right in. I don't want to make him wait so long. What a long delay that was. And Brad, are you alive out there? Hey, Michael, I'm here and alive and well, and... Good to be back on the program with you. Clockwise, I'm glad you're here. It's been a long time, Brad. It's been too long. Yeah, almost a year. Last time we were on, uh, it was big, uh, a lot of views. A lot of people really liked what we had to say. So I think uh, we're going to have another great conversation tonight, exploring the world's mysteries. Wow, that casts a long shadow, it's, Michael, uh, but I think yes. we can do it. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about the world's mysteries as well as some conspiracies out there. Those are always fun. And, you know, we'll get into some general banter here amongst us. It's always fun to sort of mix it up. And, of course, I'm, I'm sure you're not too shy with taking phone calls here tonight. Not at all. Very nice. Very nice. Remember, your phone calls are always welcome. Don't be shy. You, too, can get involved. That number will be appearing on your screen uh, in a few moments here. But for those visually impaired, that number is 424-666-2425. Chime in whenever you can. Please turn down the stream before calling in. That's pretty much all we ask for. And I'm sure you can agree with me, Brad. It's always annoying when you hear yourself echoing through a small speaker of sorts. Oh, yeah. It's a tough one, especially on the listeners. Oh, yeah. It makes you want to end the show immediately after that. <laughs> Maybe not so much, but um, I'm sure you feel my pain. So once again, Brad, thank you so much for being here and spending some time with us. It's been a fascinating ride already here in 2022 oh boy hasn't it seems like uh, every week it's another great big bombshell of a news story and i think the week coming up is not gonna break the trend either it's uh, a lot of things are coming to a head right now yes and brad for those who don't know can we go over your background just a little bit here just to sort of give them a taste of who you are brad even though i know many people checking out the show they already know who you are yeah, sure. Well, I'm the author of 10 books, including three in the Esoteric series. The latest is called Beyond Esoteric, Escaping Prison Planet. And that casts a pretty wide shadow right there. That we too. Could, uh, delve into some of the topics here. But I've been uh, traveling around the world basically my entire adult life. I've now 
been to all seven continents, including a stint in Antarctica three years ago. So it gives me a great open perspective on writing about many of these mysteries of the world, because there are so many when you look at the great megalithic sites on different continents of the world, including the Great Pyramid, to the giants that are still being discussed and understood, uh, including those elongated skulls, which are on display in South America. Funny, they don't seem to really have a problem with that. They'll put them right on display in museums, but uh, you'll never see that here in North America. And I can assure you, many have been found in this continent, but it's what is known as Smithsonian Gate, where they'll come in and just flash a badge and say, hey, we're in charge here and we're taking all these bones with us. And then, of course, never hear from them again. So these are kind of my uh, pet interests, I guess you could say, with traveling around the world and being in close proximity with many of these great mysteries of the world uh, just gives me this perspective that's very um, unique, global and unique. Yeah. And what exactly was it that got you interested to sort of dive deep into this? You know, it takes a certain special individual to sort of jump into these subjects. Not everyone is um, not everyone is interested in these sort of topics, Brad, which is kind of insane. Yeah, that's the nature of the word esoteric. It is information or uh, knowledge that is attained by a select few. When it becomes known to the rest of the world, the word actually changes to exoteric. So while there are still only a few people that are grasping the gravity of many of the subjects we're going to discuss tonight, the people that do are very passionate about it. And those are, quite frankly, the people we want to connect to. I mean, as as nice as it is to try to open it up to everybody, you're right, Michael, not everybody is going to be interested in these subjects. No, not at all. For some, these subjects are a little too heavy for them to handle. Some don't want to think about these things. It's too much for them. That's of a weak mind then. Very weak (laughs) mind. But yes, there are the the normies out there that are like that. Uh, Yes. I don't think they'll be listening. Most likely not. Not if they're listening to this show. No, you've got some pretty sophisticated listeners. I think uh, the material we cover tonight will be right up their alley. Absolutely. And of course, Brad, I have to begin with, do you believe in a creator of sorts? Well, I do. And actually, my transcendental moment came on top of the Great Pyramid itself when I climbed it in full moon night in March of 1993. Now, I should just go out there and say that this is not allowed. It's illegal. But I pulled it off. I got breaking the law. Yeah, breaking the law a little bit. Let's call it a youthful indiscretion. Love that. But I got up there and, and my uh, my grandfather had passed away while I was teaching English in Japan uh, less than a year before. And I always felt really bad that I couldn't be there for his uh, funeral. I was so far away and I didn't hear he passed until sure. the day of the wake. So I was kind of carrying this guilt with me. And then mm. I get up to the top of the Great Pyramid and I just started meditating and thinking about what it is was going on. And then he came to me and I felt like uh, it was a great release because I was still carrying this guilt. He says, look where you are, Brad. Yeah. You're at the top of the Great Pyramid of Egypt. You're, you're living your dream here. This is exactly what you should be doing. So from that moment on, I, I started to develop spirituality. And, I and I've always said that spirituality is about as unique as our own fingerprint or the iris in our eye, which is unique in every single person. And so is our experience coming into understanding the divine 
as we each wake up in our own little way. And Brad, let me ask you this. Why did you feel guilty, if you don't mind me asking? Well, because my grandfather was a great uh, influence in my life and helped uh, pay for college. And oh, okay. I see. My folks got divorced. Yeah, he was kind of a second father to me. He, he meant really a lot to you, in other words, yeah. Yeah. And so I just felt guilty that I wasn't able to make his funeral after he had done so much for me in my life. Well, what happens? You know, life gets in the way sometimes. Yeah. Or as John Lennon said, life is what happens when you're making other plans. That too. <laughs> but hey, you were on top of the pyramids. You yeah. got away with it. That's pretty wild. That's an experience that I'm sure not too many people can uh, relay. Yeah. And uh, now it's a pretty big fine if they catch you. But uh, I was it was during the uh, Sound and Light show. And I did get shouted down the first time I tried. And then I'm coming around to the east-facing side, and it's basically the way you walk out if you're ready to leave. And so I guess the guards thought, ah, oh, this guy's not going to try again. But then there's a little trick of the eye that when the lights go down after being really bright, and so the lights were on the Great Pyramid, and just all of a sudden they stopped. And I knew that, that trick of the eye, that everybody's kind of blinded for a few seconds. So I just started scrambling up the side, and each one of the blocks about a size of one of your appliances in your kitchen, like a dishwasher or a washing machine and i'm a pretty tall guy with long you legs, are so i was scrambling up and then the lights came on again and i hid in the sh uh, shadows waited for the lights to go down then went up another two-thirds of the way and hid in the shadows when they came up the second time then after that third time i made it to the top and it was just so amazing because the western side is all pitch black of the sahara desert and then to the east is cairo and the blazing lights and you can see the Nile River snaking its way through the city, too. It's just such an amazing sight. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine you doing that since you're so damn tall, Brad. <laughs> well, that helped. Man. It's just smaller steps, you know. Oh, yeah. But, geez. For those that don't know, Brad is as tall as Bigfoot. Six, seven. Th that's as tall as Bigfoot. That's an adolescent Bigfoot. I've heard they go to seven or eight or even nine feet, some uh, well, of the males. That, that's huge to me. I'm short. Like have you ever 10. been to the uh, East SETI Ranch? No, I have In Washington not. State? No, unfortunately I haven't, but I heard many good things about it. Yeah, well, not only would you see lights every night coming and going into Mount Adams, it's uh, James Gillen's property. Right. I was there once speaking with uh, Clyde Lewis at a Ground Zero conference, and Clyde had seen a Bigfoot there. He said it was about a nine-footer, and he had hair like Robert Plant, just back and flowing and kind of blonde nice it's like wow that'd be cool see a bigfoot slash robert plant i i definitely want to yeah i definitely want to see a bigfoot in my lifetime i've never seen a, a cryptid of sorts well actually take that back i have seen a, a chupacabra by the way no kidding where'd you see that way out in the country on all fours running uh, along the countryside wow out in southern california out here in california in a place yeah. called imperial <laughs> Chupacabras in SoCal. Which is crazy well, because you know, a few months later it was seen out there in Texas. Same one, you think? Um, well, maybe. It was back in, I would say, 2007, I would say. 2008, perhaps. Well, of course, the study of cryptozoology is examining the mysteries of the world, too. That uh, crypto being below the threshold of scientific understanding and zoology being the chronicling of all living animals on the planet 
And I'd say, yeah, there's plenty of evidence that there is crypto creatures both below the ocean and on the continental mainlands. It sounds a little nuts to say that, by the way, for those that are just sort of uh, listening to this the very first time and someone says they've seen this, but I have to make a pref, uh, I have to say first, um, this was sort of like not your uh, typical sort of sort of sighting that somebody would have reported back in the 90s where they said it was like a green sort of monster sort of thing with horns and red eyes. Uh, this thing looked more like a dog, I would say. Huh. Did it, could you tell if it had really sharp uh, claws? No, 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 nothing of that nature. The only thing that stood out was the lack of hair and the front legs looking a little bit bigger than actually the back legs, which was kind of odd, and big snout. Hmm. I think chupacabra in Spanish means the goat eater. Goat sucker. Goat sucker, yeah, right. they suck the blood. Well, lucky you didn't have a confrontation with it. No, not at all. I was out of safety in a truck kind of um, far away, but I could see this thing running, and I thought, this looks pretty unusual. Never seen anything like that before, especially out there. Usually you see like roadrunners and sometimes coyotes, that sort of thing. That's what I thought it was at first, like a coyote, but uh, not the way it was built. Very odd, very different. Well, I have so not knows? yet seen a crypto creature myself, but uh, putting out hope that someday. One day like, you will. Have you seen it? Yeah, I never have. Um, it's like seeing a, a UFO as a craft. Seeing many, many lights in the sky, including Mount Adams coming and going from the mountain. And by the way, I climbed up there and got to about 10,800 feet and looked over to where all the lights were coming and going on that western-facing slope of Mount Adams. And I'll tell you, Michael, uh, and, yeah, I called it the, uh, the zone of silence because the lava rocks are so sharp and just sheer walls in places. Very, very difficult to travel in that portion of the mountain where we have all these light activities coming and going out of the mountain. And so it really just the whole notion that they were Jeep headlights or really bright flashlights or in the wintertime mobile headlights. Because going up there, I just saw this is where nobody goes. So I got back down and I talked to uh, James Gillen, who has the property there. Yeah. And does anybody ever go in there to check it out? kind of in the area where we see all these lights going. And he goes, you know, there was a guy who went in about two or three years ago, and, and he was a real hardy hiker guy. And because the, the rock's so sharp, it'll even tear up your hiking boots. But he was prepared for that. He got back there, and what he described was when he started getting close to where they call it the garage door, he just had this foreboding feeling, turn back, it's dangerous, do not come any closer. He comes around. A ridge, and then he sees, he actually saw the so called garage door where it's like this entranceway into inner earth. And then the voice in his head got even louder, and it's like, You will turn around now, or we're literally going to explode your head. And the guy turned around and ran back. And he, James Gillen said it took him several days to get this story out of him that he was white as a ghost when he got back and told about that experience. That's pretty heavy. Especially if he turned white as a ghost. And this is kind of along the lines of how it's quite conceivable that uh, Bigfoot and other crypto creatures could exist. There are places in the world that are very steep mountainsides, a very dense forest, inhospitable terrain like this, where creatures could exist without being under the shadow of uh, being viewed by humans. Yeah, you just never know. I mean, 
everyone has some sort of weird sighting, some weird story. You don't always want to think someone's crazy because of what they described seeming so outlandish. But um, sometimes these things uh, do occur, Brad. And you see what you see, just like you saw Chubacabra. I mean, can't discount it. Just like I saw the lights coming and going from Mount Adams. You yeah, see I don't know things what the hell which they were. are indescribable or indistinguishable from anything that you normally would ascribe to it. And though this is why these are esoteric subjects, because they're not really understood or validated by the majority of people. Right. And you brought up Bigfoot earlier. Well, at least I did. And I'm wondering, Brad, do you believe in, in Bigfoot? I do. Yeah, I know too many people who have seen him that are very reputable people. And I think, uh, as I said, there are areas in the world where this creature not only can live, but is far away from any humans. Just last summer, I was driving one of the northernmost east-west highways in California. It's the 299 and pulled off. And there's the Bigfoot Museum right there. And it's right up close to where the uh, very famous video was shot, the Patterson video. Oh, yeah in the mid-1960s. And so I talked to the uh, innkeeper and uh, museum curator, and I said, oh, yeah, we're still getting uh, Bigfoot sightings all the time. In fact, they had a big map, and they put all these pinpricks every time there was Bigfoot sighting, or more especially even photographed. Uh, they put another pinprick in there, and it's the Trinity Alps is what that mountain range is called, uh, is full of them. And that's not too far away from Mount Shasta. And that's also another, another paranormal hotspot hot that has many different mysteries surrounding it. There's a lot of weird things that come out of that area, include, well, including Bigfoot and UFOs and sometimes even being uh, intermingled in stories as well. As well as an inner earth legend of a city called Telos, T-E-L-O-S. And I actually, uh, I climbed Mount Shasta in 1997 with a couple of buddies. And there's a vent, a steam vent at the very top. It's considered a dormant volcano. But uh, that steam vent actually saved the life of John Muir, who went up there one time with a guide and they got caught by a storm. And the whole night they had to just huddle around the steam vent to stay warm enough to survive. But the rumor is that sometimes climbers meet this mythical figure uh, named Phylos, and he will, if you are of a right energy, invite you to come into Talos. And I speak at a conference up there. In fact, I'll be up there for the Mount Shasta Summer Conference in early July. And one of the speakers is Lowell Johnson, and he actually went into Talos. And he actually knows where the entrance is, where at least where he was invited to come in. It's a sub crater off of the side of Mount Shasta called Shastina. So last year we were up at the conference, but it was too smoky and the mountain was closed because there was actually a wildfire there. So we couldn't go up, but I'm hoping this year I'd have a shot to go explore Telos. And then I'll come back on the Michael Deacon program yeah. and tell us really have some good stories to tell. I want to hear more about that for sure. That sounds like a good time, by the way. And that, that must be nice to go out there and uh, go to these conferences and you know, go and travel, in, in other words, and get away from the city, get away from uh, what's yeah, going on around the world. Things are terrible, as you know, Brad. And of course, we'll talk more about, you know, current events and all that jazz. We'll mix it up here. But um, first, let's talk more about uh, fun things first, like Mount Shasta. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful mountain. It's a sacred mountain, too. And 
I consider it a paranormal hotspot, not only because you have crypto creatures such as Bigfoot sighted near there, the legend of Talos underneath the mountain, but there's a whole backside, the eastern facing slope, which is a very highly secured U.S. military base. A lot of people don't know that, that uh, one half of Mount Shasta is totally off limits. And it's more of the uh, high desert plateau to the east of the mountain. But that just kind of begs the question, what's the military doing? What's so important about securing that particular area of the mountain where there's really nobody really living out there? And it's quite another inhospitable place where you could see uh, crypto sightings would be quite common. And why is Stephen Greer out there? And why is Stephen Greer out there as well? Yeah. Yeah, he goes to the mountain, and uh, it's it's part of the Cascade Range, which is what Mount Adams is. Here's one, Michael. Did you know that almost all UFO sightings around the world are seen at, near, or above volcanoes? Kind of begs a question, why? Why volcanoes? They're drawing into uh, something there, yeah. That's right. So they could be drawing energy off the lava, off the heat. Uh, it also has the propensity of ginormous interior cavern space. So they have a way to phase in and out through matter. You could get large crafts there. And one thing that's really common at Mount Shasta, which is very uncommon to see these lenticular clouds come off the ocean from the west, where most of the weather in California comes in off of uh, the northwest. But sometimes these lenticular clouds, which are kind of shaped like big UFOs, will anchor on the top of the mountain and then go back the way they came, even against the wind, which makes no sense. So a lot of people think that they are intelligently guided and used as cloaking devices for uh, these crafts, which anchor onto the top of the mountain sometimes. Right. And it's kind of funny how the media has sort of died down in terms of UFOs. It was every other night when we were hearing so much about them, but now... It's kind of gone down, but of course, that's because there's a war going on, and of course, it's because Amber Heard and Johnny Depp are fighting. That that trial is almost like the O.J. Simpson trial, except uh, more humorous. Yeah, more humorous. Isn't it interesting where the media will be like, oh, we're putting the spotlight on this, but we sure didn't quite get that with the Ghislaine or Maxwell, Maxwell trial. Right. Yeah, yeah, there's so many things going on. Selective what they'll focus on. Yeah, but it seemed like every night we were getting hit by UFO news, and then all of that sort of went away. Yeah, and it's not like UFOs have gone away. I think, if anything, they're being more frequently spotted in the skies, and there's more interest on what's going on here on this uh, planet of the apes down here than ever before, because we're at a very crucial period (laughs) in human history up until uh, 2030 is when the guardians of the looking glass say that we're entering into this singularity type event when the timelines uh, will merge into one final timeline, whether it be timeline two, the disaster uh, destroying the planet, 90% of the human race, or if we can overcome the shackles of these oppressors, this uh, globalist cabal, then we enter golden age and it will be clear by 2030 which direction we're taking yeah speaking of the prison planet great book by the way all your books are fantastic by the way first have to sort of put you over uh, like that brad because i think you are actually a fantastic writer very entertaining 
Your books are not boring whatsoever. They are true page turners, as they say. Always good stuff reading your books, Brad. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you very much. Yes, they resonate with me quite well, and I'm sure everyone out there will feel the same way if they ever get a chance to read some of your material. It's quite good, Brad. And, you know, I agree with a lot of things you say in your book, especially beyond esoteric. You, um... Well, I might be a good time to say if anybody wants to get a signed copy, you can go to cccpublishing.com. Those book sales go through my office here and I can sign copies of any of any books that I've authored and they're all on that website. Yes, I was going to say you uh, mentioned the New World Order and COVID and so many other things in there. Yeah, well, it's the world we live in right now and it's it's very strange and to me, uh, understanding and having a grasp of these esoteric subjects gives me peace of mind in some ways. I mean, yes, you see the darkness of the world, but by exposing it, then we know it. It's kind of like the old Lao Tzu saying that you cannot defeat an enemy unless first you know who it is and you know the mode of their operation to counter it and defeat it. So in right. some ways, learning about the New World Order agenda and how this globalist cabal works and how they've just gamed every system in the world to their advantage is about the only hope we got because we do have the numbers and we do have free will on this planet where people can decide to change their way of thinking. And that's really all it takes sometimes when people think, oh, I, I can't do anything. It's just so overwhelming. What can one person like me do? Well, just knowing what it's all about and have an idea how they operate is a very good step in the right direction. That's the best person that we have to try to uh, influence over to come to our side because once we get the numbers michael yes i think it's game over for this this globalist cabal yes we'll talk about the world leaders meeting up in antarctica in a moment here and we'll tie everything in together in a moment and actually i'll do that right now speaking of which since we are talking sort of a current stuff now for a brief moment uh, in terms of ukraine and russia we've been hearing lots of things about putin wanting to use nuclear weapons and of course we hear all throughout the years about ufos sort of interacting with these nuclear bases around the world um what are the chances of something like that ever happening uh coming up here brad do you think something like that would ever go down we see uh, some sort of craft in the sky do some sort of uh, intervention well that's what it's always been implied that uh, the benevolent ETs would not allow full-scale nuclear war. What might slip through the cracks is like a suitcase bomb, uh, anthrax breaking out, or some kind of um, nuclear bomb in, in a localized smaller suitcase, which would still be horrifying and devastated. But as far as the missiles are flying over, take cover now, I, I don't see that happening. There are ramifications, and we know this from the time of the very first nuclear tests out at White Sands, New Mexico, that there are implications that go into the other dimensional realms. And so just about every time there are uh, nuclear bomb tests, and this went out to Bikini Atoll and even over Hiroshima and Nagasaki, there were sightings of craft watching those nuclear detonations. And this does have ramifications farther than just the radioactivity that is uh, emitted once these bombs are detonated. So I don't think that the ETs would allow that to happen. In fact, they've gone so far as to prove it to our own 
nuclear silos up in North Dakota uh, several times. This were witnesses in the disclosure project by Stephen Greer saying that they were on base and, and UFOs would come over and the power would shut down on some of these most sensitive military operations in the country. And then they would see that the nuclear bombs didn't work. Of course, they could rewire them and get them going again, but they sent a message to say, we're not going to let you use these. So <laughs> you might as well uh, just phase them out. And that is what the benevolent ETs told Eisenhower in the mid-50s when they were trying to convince him, hey, we'll get you your technology that you so crave, but first things first, you got to get rid of nuclear bombs. And unfortunately, Eisenhower said no and teamed up with these malevolent ETs. And that is actually a big part of the problem we're still in today. Yes, I've heard lots about that, about this uh, meeting that went on. And you fully believe that this did happen, and it's not just some sort of thing that was made up by the internet. No, I, I know it happened because Laura Eisenhower is a very good friend of mine. In fact, we're going to be publishing her first three books with CCC Publishing. And I've talked to her about this on several occasions. She said she wants to clear the record and put it in her books and let people know the circumstances about why he made that decision. Because obviously, in the Eisenhower family, they've had to deal with the ramifications of this decision, especially anyone who has information or knowledge on the ET issue, as she does. Right. But that's just some skepticism that goes on with uh, this sort of a meeting of presidents meeting up with extraterrestrials, in other words. there's It's always met with lots of skepticism. Yeah, well, skepticism's good. I have a healthy dose of it myself. Sure, me too. And you need to, and we all need to, and we all should be really skeptical of every first time we hear something that seems uh, extraordinary. But then... Sometimes you also have to be, have a rational mind and know that there are different agendas that are at play in the world today, some of which do not have our best interests in heart. Absolutely. So, yeah. So I, I don't really know for sure, but I'm not someone who completely shoes that away. I, I just have no idea if it really went on or not, but some people claim it, it in fact did, and these sort of things do happen, where presidents yeah. and people of high... I mean, high positions definitely meet extraterrestrials like they did perhaps in Antarctica. Way back. Antarctica. Yes, and you've been there, which is insane to me, by the way. That's a place I would never go to, Brad, because I would die. I would freeze to death. Well, I know you like it hot down there in Southern <laughs> California. So yeah, would, I can't uh, go be there. cold at times. It was actually uh, in the middle of summer down there, but it was quite hot and or I mean, uh, quite cold, but a couple days we're warming up to wear your t-shirt. So it's sort of a misnomer to think it's always going to be super cold down there. Um, but for a summer trip, it was cold. Yeah. So you're saying I could probably maybe do like a week out there. Yeah. Let's get you on a cruise ship. Oh, no, you can even fly ship. in now. Not, not right now. It's actually the end of the season, but it starts up again in November till March. You know, those cruise ships, I have no idea if I ever want to get on one of those, Brad. They seem so <laughs> damn dangerous, especially the food there. The food there and the recycled air. And a lot of them have uh, the 5G Wi-Fi, which may be <laughs> how the people that were stuck on the cruise ship in Japan right. got sick. And it's so it's good to have skepticism, but it's also good to be realistic that uh, true all is not being told to us, <laughs> including what the 5G can do. 
Yeah, and going back to what we're saying about people that believe in these things or those who claim to have seen UFOs or had sort of maybe they were abducted. I mean, lots of people do report these things, and I don't think they're all out of their mind or out of their minds or they're just lying. I think something probably did happen to them. Yeah, I think so too. And you look at uh, the earliest people who had encounters or had been abducted, they were very reluctant to talk about what they had seen and experienced. And to me, that really gives those testimonies an air of authenticity that uh, some really reluctant to say, hey, yeah, I got abducted in an anal probe. Oh, my. That would be pretty embarrassing, too. But anything else pertaining to it, and then you tie in the whole men in black scenario where in the early years, in the 50s and 60s, UFO sightings, these men in black would appear just pretty much out of nowhere. And guys running to get to a payphone to tell his wife or someone he can call and tell what just happened, and they would intercept him before he could even make a call. That's right. And, and it's but really wild. And it is. I think it begs the question that they had some kind of time travel ability to be able to do that. You know, I want to ask you more about Antarctica here in a second, but what are your thoughts and opinions on Richard Doty, for instance? Well, I've met Richard Doty. I had a dinner with him once in Boulder, Colorado, and I find him to be a very authentic person. And boy, is he interesting guy. Could have been a fly on the wall during that dinner uh, meeting with uh, Sid Goldberg from Gaia TV. We had uh, some great discussions there. The interesting uh, story. What do you got. think? Well, I think yeah. he's very fascinating, especially what he agreed to do. Yeah. But they say that that was actually going on, though, that they were experiencing um, another worldly phenomenon. So they say. Well, and, and that's what makes the whole Men in Black phenomenon so intriguing is that these people are having life-changing, even paranormal experiences. And then before they can even process what they have just seen or experienced, they're getting pulled over by the Men in Black who are then telepathically telling them, do not talk about this experience. And it just makes, uh, makes it even more believable in my eyes. Yes, unlike the movie. Well, the movie's a joke, but yes. the reality <laughs> of the men in black is very real. I think there's some kind of hybrids. They're, they're partially human, but if you've seen the, some of the video from lobby cams, what they look like, and I publish a few in the chapter on the men in black and future esoteric, they have this otherworldly look about them and really big heads too. And they always wear the glasses to disguise their eyes. The eyes are another one of the dead giveaways. Yes, that's frightening. That's frightening, by the way. If you ever encounter uh, an alien with those sort of characteristics, you know, some of them don't always have the large heads and large eyes, as you know. Um, but if you did see the classic gray, the tall white, anything of that nature, even sort of like a insectoid sort of species, that would be pretty damn crazy. And of course, you you hear of those stories of women being abducted by these grays and you know, having these sexual relationships with them, which is insane to me. I'm not sure how you would even be able to go through something like that, but, you know, there are stories like that. There sure are. Crazy. And that's what makes it another one of these esoteric subjects, Michael, that you and I love to talk about so much. I, I like talking about it too much. It's just those things <laughs> that you think about and you're like, holy hell, there's so much info on these uh, topics here. It makes you sort of think that, did it really happen? Did it not? It plays tricks on you. 
it can play tricks on you. And, and you can overthink these things too sometimes. And it can, uh, we've seen in UFO field, it can sometimes even drive people a little bit crazy or kind of start losing the uh, plot, so to speak. Oh, my but, Brad. Uh, That's an understatement. Yeah. There's lots of folks out there that have, I would, I think you would agree with me, some, some of them out there have lost their minds. I don't want to sort of out anyone. But, you know, we've right. been around the scene long enough to sort of know which character out there has sort of gone over the, gone over the edge. And I know people who I've met at conferences Oof. and now are saying, I'm defriending everybody I met at these <laughs> conferences and I don't want anything to do with it. And you people are all crazy. So uh, that's why we're in this field called fringe that won't be touched by the mainstream. Or if they do, they usually make fun of it and <clears throat> heckle anybody that has any kind of research experience in this. But it, at the same time, it makes it so that our field is self-policing and that people who cannot handle it or hot get off the stove kind of thing uh, or those researchers who have been shown to be a fraud and or whistleblowers and other people that just want the attention and that uh, they come and go. I mean, I, I've only been in this field for uh, under 15 years, so I'm kind of a newcomer myself, but I have seen people You've seen come the fights. and go. Yeah, you, you've seen all the all the fighting going on in the UFO community, as they say. That's right. Isn't that insane? I, I, you know, I just don't know what to make of it. Obviously, you don't want to get involved in any of it, but as no. as being an outsider looking in, uh, you can see these groups of people just going at each other uh, viciously. Yeah, and that's too bad. I, I personally, if I don't have something nice to say about someone, I'm not gonna. That's probably best. Yeah. Yeah. Probably best so uh, way to handle that. Out of it. No yeah. doubt. I, I don't blame you, but yes, uh, people, uh, I'm sure everyone kind of already knows who we're referring to here, but lots of fighting going on out there amongst these people. Um, I don't get it, to be honest. It's like we're all kind of all talking about the same thing uh, one way or another, whether we agree with each other or disagree with each other. But, you know, once you start pulling people in with lawsuits and this and that, it's kind of uh, ridiculous, Brad. Yeah. And those people that uh, are shouting the most or issuing those lawsuits are usually the ones who are who get bounced out. And slowly you just don't hear from them much anymore. And, and that probably shows you exactly who they were. Right. And, and we can't discount either that this uh, disinformation agents, and, and we've seen them come to the conferences too, Michael. In fact, we even have a game called Spot the Mole because they almost send one to every conference I go to. And this is what I've heard really? about it, that they come to listen to all the presentations. They come not to learn what they're going to hear, but what they don't hear. So they're still protective of some of those core secrets that they don't want us to know about. And if you think about it, in a way, we kind of are the cutting edge. We're the vanguard of a lot of this information, or at least trying to make sense of it, articulating it in such a way that we're trying to make known the unknowable, so to speak. And so when these presenters come to these conferences, uh, you can tell sometimes it's just regurgitated from other speakers or other uh, research that's been out there. But others are pretty cutting edge. And if they're really good at what they do and authentic people, they'll be around and they do stay around. And we have some OGs in the field sure, too that sure. have been around for many, many years, much longer than we have. And so to to that 
those are the people who probably are telling the truth in this field. So in other words, you've rolled your eyes before at conferences. I have before, yeah. Okay. And and it's sometimes pretty obvious who is just there to get the attention or and that's usually what it is. It's not a high paying field here really by any means and a lot of these conferences um they don't it's not like they pay very well. If you can get your accommodations and travel expenses covered, I'd say that you're doing pretty good as far as being a speaker at some of these. But um yeah, I mean People are in it for different reasons, I guess. And uh, I think the ones who really are truly in pursuit of the truth, that's where you'd want to see this going, those people to continue on. And so I, I have no no motivation to make anything up. I just try to make sense of it all. That That's all I've ever wanted to do. And the fact that I own my own publishing business and cannot be corrupted by turning in a manuscript and the editor saying, oh, no, 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 no. Right. Uh, that doesn't happen here. So Yeah, and you, you seem genuinely – like the Michael Deacon program. Sure. You can control the content of your show, and that's what makes you more authentic. Yeah, and, and, and you seem genuine with what you say here on the show and other shows as well, uh, Brad. So I, I don't think you're one of these people that are just sort of in it for profit or anything like that. You are pretty much uh, interested in this field. I am very much interested in this field, and I think is in the big picture of things, well, we've all known that uh, honesty is the best policy and sure. lying is bad karma, and it is, and you don't want to do that. But at the same time, we're taking this inexplicable type of field, this fringe subjects, and trying to make sense of it. Do we make mistakes? Yes. And if we do, come around and say, I made a mistake and correct yourself, and I do that all the time in my esoteric series of books, people will even find a typo. I want to know it, and I'll change it in the next print run or if it comes out into another edition, uh, it's bigger. And I did that already in the fourth printing of Beyond Esoteric. I completely revamped uh, everything that I found was needing correction, added new images, and so continually make the product uh, as good as you can. And that uh, that's my philosophy in publishing books. Understood. Understood. And of course, I asked you earlier if you believed in a creator and you said yes. And I'm wondering now, um, growing up, were you raised like a, like, let's say with Christianity or Catholicism? No, not at all. But see, that's kind of the weird thing. Both my mom dropped out of Catholic church and dad out of Lutheran church. And they thought, we're just going to raise our kids with no religion, no dogma, no nothing. So it was kind of like a blank chalkboard. And anytime I had an experience that I felt was spiritual, especially that one on the top of the Great Pyramid, sure. then it would be my own personal chalkboard, right? My own spirituality that's very interpersonal to me. But I would have to say that until that experience on the Great Pyramid, and I was uh, 29 years old, that, or actually only 28, that I was an atheist. To you were an point. atheist, okay. Yeah, and grew up that way. Interesting. Very interesting. And sometimes certain individuals out there will say the greys have claimed to be our gods, our creators of, of sorts. What do you make of that? I think they're incredible tricksters. And they'll say or do or make us think telepathically however they need to do it to have their way. They are the malevolent ETs that, unfortunately, Eisenhower sided with. And this was part of this Griotta Treaty that is renewed every fourth year, every decade. 
And so they decided to go in 1954 with these malevolent ETs to get the technology in the middle of the Cold War. This is part of the explanation that Laura Eisenhower will give, is that in the middle of the Cold War, we didn't know what the Soviets had. Perhaps they were also making treaties with ETs, which turns out they were, and they had their own crash retrievals, and they've had their own alien autopsy videos. And a lot of this information, including what really happened in Antarctica with Operation High Jump, came out of the crumbling of the Soviet Union in the early 1990s. You could walk into Moscow right after the Soviet Union crumbled with a suitcase full of hard currency like U.S. dollars and find someone who could go into the KGB and pull out whatever files you wanted. And so after the Soviet Union crumbled, Russia, the new Russian Federation, was actually on the vanguard of disclosure. And they would talk about and make even documentaries. Uh, one that I got a lot of information about, uh, the Battle of High Jump, comes from Russian uh, fact-based journalists reporting, kind of like our 60 Minutes. And they're talking about craft coming up out of the ocean and confronting the armada and slicing one of the ships in half called the USS Murdoch. And that was their show of force, which was enough to make Admiral Byrd hightail around with his armada of ships and end that expedition two months into the six months they were supposed to be down there. And for those that don't know, our world leaders all went out there one year for a secret meeting of sorts. Um, Brad, do you know anything of the, about that? Well, there were a couple times that are really famous. The first in modern history, I'm sure they've been going down there for quite a bit. Because one thing about uh, Antarctica, Michael, it is the most volcanic continent in the world. So there's 91 known volcanoes with the propensity of creating these large under ice domes. So this whole notion of an inner Earth could just be right below the two miles of ice shield on the uh, polar plateau. With the geothermal heating, they would have an energy source, a fuel source, a water source, and barely compatible living conditions. So when John Kerry went down there, and I know a person who was working at McMurdo, which is the largest base in Antarctica and the American base, so he came in to much fanfare. I show a picture of it in my presentation, The Hidden Anomalies of Antarctica. But then he went inland for several days and wouldn't talk about and nobody knew exactly where he went. And the idea is that this globalist cabal has one or several bases under the ice. And if you think about it, the deepest depths of the ocean and what's under the ice in Antarctica are really the greatest hiding places and the biggest mysteries on this physical planet that are really left unexplored. So uh, the fact that they could have some bases down there and these elite are going in to get their marching orders, which happened again this last season at no other place than Rothschild Island. And when I was going down there, I was consulting with uh, Dr. Michael Solomon saying, hey, going to the Palmer Peninsula, do you know any places that I should keep an eye out for? One of the places he told me is, yeah, you should go down and check out Rothschild Island, which was considerably further south than where we went. But uh, nonetheless, there is quite a bit of mystery of that place, including what appears to be a heart machine that they can create these frequencies that can go around the world. So, for example, the uh, the great journalist Dabu Seven, 
had a video of these ripple waves, like these frequency waves that were going out from Rothschild Island up and around to the Northern Hemisphere to the country of Greece, when a couple summers ago they had those really bad fires there. And I remember at the time people were saying, we don't know how they keep starting, but they keep starting. Just like here in Northern California, Michael, with the uh, every summer and there's reports that there's directed energy weapons. So Rothschild Island has some of this weather manipulation technology. See that D Dabu 7 video, you'd come away thinking the same thing I just described. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Again, I definitely don't want to go down there to Antarctica at all, by the way. And it's it's pretty insane to hear that John Kerry the ghoul was out there. Who uh, knows what he was up to out there? As well as... Uh, so many others, yes. People from the royal family, uh, King Carlos of Spain. You have the patriarch Krill, who went and met the Pope. You know, they're the opposing sides of Christianity. On his way down to Antarctica, he went and met the Pope in Cuba. And perhaps got some information from the uh, our Pope because he was going down there to bless a small little Russian Orthodox chapel. I got a picture of that in my uh, presentation. But the backstory is is that he was going down there to bless or to put a maybe I don't know if it's a curse or uh, some kind of spiritual lock of the Ark of Gabriel, which had been uncovered a few years earlier when they were doing excavations near Mecca. And you remember the news stories where what we were told was first a crane fell, and a crane did fall, but it was because that was the initial time they found the Ark of the Gabriel. Many people died from that, but then the big one was they said it was a stampede where hundreds of people died in Mecca. Was it about eight, nine years ago? And it was really when they were trying to pull the Ark of Gabriel out. So then they realized, okay, we, we got something pretty big here. So uh, Saudis called the, the Russians. The Russians says, we know how to deal with it. And indeed, there was an armada of Russian ships a couple months later at the port city of Jeddah. And they went right on down to Antarctica. And you know where they buried it? Was in the old New Schwabenland area, supposedly in one of the old bunkers of Base 211 or part of the new Berlin base. So maybe that was also a, uh, a little jab at the Germans. Hey, man, now you got this uh, Ark of Gabriel there, too, that's going to mess you up if you ever try to come back and relaunch these bases. The Germans were very, very clever for a short time until they met their fate as well. They got kind of got a little too confident, I would say. Mm -hmm. Some say they never lost World War II. That's true. Some do say that. they went that. underground. And... The Battle of High Jump would be testimony to the best technology that they had discovered. Now, the Allies at the end of World War II were absolutely scared out of their wits that the Germans were going to produce these wonder weapons and use them against their forces as they were marching in towards Berlin. But the Germans had the foresight to get out with all this equipment, with the Hanibu and with their other dish-shaped craft that they were working on and take it down to not only Antarctica, but even on large land holdings in Chile and Argentina. And so on my way down to Antarctica three years ago, yeah. I was also going around and checking out these places from uh, Hunting Hitler, the History Channel series on it, and found that there are massive land holdings, some as big as our small states in America, like the size of Delaware or Connecticut wow. in Chile and Argentina. And it's owned by Germans. And it's like a micronation within the nation. 
that they made themselves impervious to the nation's laws and are able to continue to operate to this day on these large estates. I was just about to ask you about Hitler and how he was obsessed with the occult. And of course, there are uh, theories out there that they at one time did have the Spear of Destiny. What, what exactly, or the Spear of, yeah, the Spear of Destiny, what am I saying? Uh, they they are saying that that exactly did happen at one point. Do you, do you believe that? Do you think they really oh, yeah, did absolutely. have possession of the Spear of Destiny? Well, first of all, they were absolutely obsessed with getting any occult items. So they were doing all kinds of exploratory and uh, excavations around the world. So remember in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, it was all about the Nazis finding the Ark of the Covenant, and they would use it to lead their armies. So the very first thing Hitler did when they annexed Austria pre-World War II was to go into the main antiquities museum in Vienna, Austria, to get the Spear of Destiny, which, by the way, has not been recovered since World War II. And there are some pretty good estimations that it's still down there in Antarctica. And there is still a German presence, probably not where they put the Ark of Gabriel, yeah. but elsewhere. And as you were out there exploring um, the, the coldness of Antarctica, um, did you discover that the world was flat, Brad? I did not. Oh, no. I was no. just done with uh, Flat Earth Dave and for two hours going over this. And there is no <laughs> such thing as an ice wall. And you can fly to the North Pole or South Pole and keep on going. So those are all kind of uh, misconceptions. Oh, and no. And that's why I say we need to be skeptical of everything we hear in this field, Michael. We've got to be able to uh, separate the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. And since we are a self-policing organization here – with uh, the people that are interested in this subject, that uh, you got to throw a couple out that just make no darn sense. And I've been around the world on the equatorial lines, and I've seen the Southern Hemisphere constellations like the Southern Cross, and the skies are completely different down there as they are in the Northern Hemisphere. And, of course, the Flat Earthers didn't have a good explanation for that. Well, I am highly disappointed, Brad. I, I thought you might have seen the ice wall, but I guess it was just a little... <laughs> Too far away for you to see. Uh, no, I don't think it exists. <laughs> there are ice shelves there, but where I was, and I could show you photos of very rugged coastline, and you can see the rugged coastline just about all the way around Antarctica. I'm not a flat earther, by the way, but uh, I know plenty of individuals who definitely fall into that category, and yes, they are very much into the flat earth, and we respect their views, of course, but... Not really a theory that I subscribe to myself, Brad. Um, good to hear. Yes, hopefully you don't get well, harassed after this by, by uh, that, that community. All right. Yeah, I've already <laughs> taken my licks after the uh, Flat Earth Dave interview, and uh, it's all good. I mean, I, I don't hold this against anyone. He says, well, we don't want to upset you. I'm like, you're not upsetting me. I'm just telling you. I've been there, and I've seen it. And You can travel around, and you can see the ice wall that you're showing me the pictures of. Those are the ice shelves. The Larson A and B and the Ross ice shelf, and they periodically break off big chunks of ice. In fact, when we were sailing down there from the southern tip of South America to the Palmer Peninsula, very first thing we saw were some of these massive icebergs, Michael. And man, they're not only haunting because if you would hit one, you, we'd have a big problem on our hands. But um, boy, they're just as big as uh, the Merchandise Mart in Chicago, one of the biggest buildings in the world. You just see these things floating. It's just really incredible. 
some of the the sites and then all the the wildlife down there has no fear of humans uh which is also very refreshing and uh that, that those are some of my takeaways of some of the impressions i got going down there what do you mean very refreshing you want to get attacked by an animal bread is that what you're saying well, I mean, refreshing that we haven't totally scared the, oh, okay. the Jesus okay. about all <laughs> life forms on this planet with the folly of human activity. It's it's refreshing that oh, there's okay. still some animals that are like, oh, humans, you're just another animal like us. I guess if you're not going to eat us, then we shouldn't be afraid of you. I thought you were going to be like uh, that, that gentleman from that movie, Grizzly Man. <laughs> yeah, right. That was an interesting yeah, character, by the way. He, that was, that was he went over scary. the edge there. A great film for those who have not watched it. He loved the bear so damn much, and he died uh, doing what he loved, I guess you can say. As horrible as that sounds. Yeah, I went to the uh, Banff Film Festival when I was up skiing last month in Tahoe, and they had another film of some uh, guys from Scandinavia that went to the same place oh, no. where, the, uh, where the guy was killed by grizzlies. And they just, they would be very submissive. So if a big male would come walking by them, they just kind of put their head down and, and not really react. And they didn't get attacked. So I don't know what the grizzly man was doing to provoke them, but uh, he didn't make it. But these guys did. And they generally, as with all animals, and I'm right out here by the coast in California with a lot of surfers. Sure. There are great whites right off the coast of uh, Capitola. California in the Monterey Bay here. I did a, a boat trip once and, and it's called uh, the Shark Park. And we went up there and we saw great whites swimming right right below us, but they very rarely ever attack the surfers. If they do, they think it's a seal. They think it's one of their food sources, but they're not typically going after us. Yeah, you got them at camp, around Camp Pendleton as well out here. Yeah. yeah. You got them swimming around closer than you imagined. And by the way, someone in the chat says... You should have had, uh, you should have heard Brad so respectfully prove our round earth theory with the flat earthers. He did an excellent job. Thank you. So this uh, individual here did hear you when you were on that uh, gentleman's program. Uh, I believe that's David. I'm forgetting his last name. The, the yeah, flat, earth, flat Dave. earth Dave is how I know him. David Weese? Yep. David something Weiss. Like, something, yep. Like, something of that, that nature, yes. I, I recall that individual. Now I do. It's been a while. I didn't know he was still doing his thing. He is, and I heard there was a bounty. I thought, what? oh, I can easily prove the Earth is round. And I presented, and I even wrote down notes for the show and had a whole bunch of ammunition to go, but they just dismissed outright any of my proofs of the spherical Earth. Yeah, it's, they're a very interesting bunch. I've had yeah. some flat earthers here, and I ask them what the shape of the sun is. Yeah. And or that, how about any other planet? Pretty much, yes. And that kind of sort of topples the conversation. Yeah, they don't have <laughs> a good answer to that one either. How about when it's a full lunar eclipse and you see the Earth shadowing over the moon? And it's not a sphere, or I mean, it's not a uh, flat plane, but it's a sphere. Uh, Brad, it covers the Earth. I've seen several myself. Brad, you're not supposed to mention that part. Ah, uh, well, we have to. Yes, we We're do. We're self-policing ourselves here, Michael. Yeah, that's uh, that's the problem, though. We shouldn't self-police ourselves at all. We should sort of go with the wind and sort of say things that are sometimes inappropriate at times instead of being forced to self-censor. But, you know, everyone has to sort of play by certain rules at times. Understood, understood. Um, by the way, Brad, um, I did want to talk to you about Atlantis for a moment here. Sure. Which is something I've always been interested in. Do you believe Atlantis was something that did exist 
And Plato did experience something of that nature. Well, indeed, Plato got his information from Solon, who was a historian that went down to Egypt and talked to the priests who, in the Western world, had the best record of our antiquity. And they spoke about the land beyond the pillars of Hercules, which are regarded as uh, Gibraltar and Morocco, that entrance to the Mediterranean Sea. And indeed, down in the Azores Islands, and I have a friend down there, Patricia Corey, I've been on her show many times, and we talk about a pyramid that was spotted by fishermen and then sonar radar over almost a perfect four-sided pyramid between a couple of the islands in the Azores. So there's underwater proof there. There's also underwater proof uh, below the water of Cuba. And I have pictures of this and many other underwater archaeological sites in my book, Modern Esoteric. And that site off of Cuba, again, was discovered by treasure hunters using uh, sonar and found what looks like a Mayan uh, central courtyard with a large pyramid and then flanking pyramids on the side of the courtyard. Just truly incredible. And another great one is off of the Okinawa Islands in Yonaguni. Uh, the southernmost island in the Okinawa chain in Japan, just north of Taiwan. And that this site has only been discovered in the last 20, 25 years by scuba divers. And it is perfectly right-angled cuts into the living rock, which there's no way you could, you could excavate rock underwater like that. So it had to be a time when all of these locations were above water. And so it does give rise to the whole notion of Atlantis and other lost civilizations like Lemuria, which was a Pacific oh, basin yes. culture. Now, Michael, there's also talk that there could be evidence of Atlantis down in Antarctica as well. And this would be the pyramids poking through the ice. And I've located three different locations in Antarctica where there are pyramids. Oh, yeah. And there are also stories of excavations that are going on that they're finding um, some megalithic building down there as well under the ice. Yes. By the way, I meant to say, did Plato actually, um, when, I didn't mean to say he experienced it. I meant to say uh, the, the person who's holding the story, I wonder if they had known anyone who personally experienced it themselves. Um, but I sort of blurted out the wrong thing. But anyways, um, some even say the Bermuda Triangle is where Atlantis is. Well, that's really interesting because Edgar Casey had some information. Remember, he was called the sleeping prophet, and he would go into a trance, and people could ask him questions, and sometimes they would ask about Atlantis. And he said that there was a – he described it as a fire crystal, and it was a energy source that was used by the Atlanteans. And so when Atlantis sunk – with this fire crystal, which never became deactivated, that it's still actually running. And this is what's creating the phenomenon in the Bermuda Triangle area. And it's so interesting that oftentimes what people would experience flying in or ships that go missing is missing time, that there appears to be some kind of a time warp. And this was also what was reported with the Philadelphia experiment that uh, there was these two brothers that jumped off the boat in the middle of the experiment, and they turned up exactly 40 years later to the minute, but outside of Montauk, where they were doing time experiments oh, yeah. using 
a chair down there. Yeah. And then the last conference I spoke at up at uh, Mount Shasta, Peter Moon was one of the speakers. Mount he Shasta. did a whole series of books on that. Boy, yeah. Talk about being a fly on the wall during a dinner conversation with Peter Moon. He's about as good as it gets. Yeah, that Peter Moon. Very interesting individual as well. And um, I found the answer of how Plato learned of Atlantis. Yes, the great-grandfather had met Solon. And it goes on and on. Um, but yes, Mount Shasta again. I, you know, I hear so much about Mount, Mount Shasta. It makes me want to go out there, Brad. Well, hey, I'm speaking there at the summer conference in July. I'll uh, arrange that for you if you'd oh like my. to come up uh, and come incognito. Nobody will know who we are. Yes, I'll be low key. I'll, I'll wear a mask. <laughs> like Just, a, you know, we could talk in signals or in, uh, <laughs> special code. And- <laughs> um, some, uh, by the way, down. but you know who's going to be there? Who very who's rarely comes to conferences is Alex Collier, who came last oh, yes. year, and I made a really great connection with him. I like him so much, and uh, he's going to come back. And he just said, "This is the first time I've done a public uh, com- conference in over ten years, and after this, I'm going to retire again." Yeah, that's but Rob Potter, the uh, conference mm-hmm. promoter. He got him to come back, so he's coming up again. Wow. Yeah, that's a name you don't really uh, see at conferences at all anymore. No, and I wish he would. But, he, you know, when you get up there in age, and he's taken a lot of slings and arrows, I'll tell you. He, I, I can understand why he'd be a little uh, gun-shy being in front of a live audience sometimes. Because, you know, you get your occasional heckler or someone who might uh, threaten you. I mean, heaven forbid, but uh, there's still jerks in the world. Well, that's true. And by the way, we have a, flat, a proud flat earther, by the way. And he said he listened to you the other night. So okay. so you do have some flat earth uh, fans out there, Brad. Some flatheads. <laughs> some flatheads. Well, <laughs> yes. the thing is, I don't demean anybody and I'm not going to call names. Sure. Or, yeah. I, I'm not. like you, Michael. I just want to get to the truth. I just want to find out what's real in the world today. And some things you just can't find proof for it. And the fact that I've been to Antarctica and I've seen that yeah, you've been it's there. a rocky continent it's not a nice wall that's that's total fallacy uh and so i have to dispel that i'm with you brad i'm with you on that i can't really subscribe to the notion of a flat earth um someone is saying oak island for some odd reason here in the chat i think they've said that multiple times i think they want your opinion on oak island brad oh boy have i heard so much about that and then you know they made a show that they made a goes show. on and on it's I'm been on for really like finding. brad that show's been on for over 10 years i think no. holy hell i know it's like ancient aliens it just keeps Ooh. chugging along but at least ancient aliens has some good content i've been on a couple of those episodes you've been on yeah yeah but the oak island okay so sure there probably is and has been some kind of treasure lost i mean what I really find interesting is the Knights Templar sure, coming yes. over to this country, this continent. And, and I was on the show America on Earth with Scott Walter, and he really got his start by looking at all the Templar petroglyphs in the East. And I've seen some of them, too. And it's it's very remarkable. It, you can make a very good case that so when the Knights Templar were uh, basically they got fabulously wealthy by what they found below the uh, Solomon's Temple in Jerusalem. And I published a book called The Key to Solomon's Key, and where I learned so much about this by the author Lon Milo Duquette. And these were the poor knights. They called them the poor knights of the temple, that they would go there with this vow of chastity, that they would, uh, they were just going there for God's sake, and they're going to take back the Holy Land. 
Well, they did some excavations there, and they got fabulously rich, so rich that they became the very first international bankers. And this is interesting because it right. ties into today. So they had uh, loaned money to the king of France, who was greatly indebted. This is uh, some years later. They had built one of the largest and most modern sailing fleets. And the Pope was starting to fear that their power was getting greater than the Vatican. So the Pope and the uh, King of France conspired against the Knights Templar. And that's where we get the whole Friday the 13th, the day they came down on them. Well, that fleet of Templar ships largely went uncaptured. Some of them went to Scotland, and that's where you have the Rosslyn Chapel up there, which has inscribed in stone what looks like corns of stock, uh, stalks of corn, I should say. And there is no corn in Europe. That's only in the Americas. And this was a Templar chapel. And it's replete with a whole bunch of other symbolism that goes down the line. I did a book called Sacred Places Europe. And of course, Rosslyn Chapel is, is very prominent. So they also went across the Atlantic. And it's not too hard. The Vikings did it and the Chaldee monks before them, and the Phoenicians before them. And that's the whole uh, area where they would come to get the raw copper out of the Lake Superior area. And so just stay on the, the Templars that they came here too. And this is before, uh, about 150 years before Columbus. And they also made claim to this new land. So that they were here and uh, left their inscriptions all over the place is pretty good reason to believe that um, that the Templars would have this kind of uh, influence. And so when the first explorers came up the coastline, including Verrazano and several others, they were marveling at what they called the white Indians, who were tall and red hair and colored eyes. And so it was either the Templars or the Vikings or the Chaldee monks or all the above were living here. In fact, there was even a tribe in Virginia what is today Virginia, that could speak the language of Welsh and had all these words from Welsh. And so that could have only come over from the Welsh people. And look, the, the, the oceans are not barriers. The oceans are highways. And the oceans have facilitated uh, inter-ocean travel for many millennia. Uh, the Chinese came to the West Coast where we're at, Michael. That's right. Uh, also before Columbus. Way before way before. And then you got the uh, Egyptians in the Grand Canyon, and that has been ruthlessly covered up. But the Kincaid expedition in the 1930s uh, uncovered Egyptian artifacts. And if you look on a map, there's like Isis Needle and uh, Osiris Mesa and uh, Baal Temple and all these names from Egypt and, and the Middle East. It's uh, It just makes you think that there's a lot more to the story than there we're is. being told. There's a lot. And, of course, the first occult systems all began where human humanity sort of formed in Mesopotamia. That's where yeah. everything the sort of... schools of Egypt. That's where everything sort of began. That's We've come full circle. Back, it's still keeping secrets. Yeah, back to the um, beginning here, the cradle of life, the crescent, they say, which is hard to imagine that these primitive men were able to accomplish so many advanced um so much they were able to accomplish so many advanced uh let's say in terms of technology and astrology they had all this crazy knowledge 
crazy we're, knowledge and we're still yeah. playing catch up. And we're and, supposed to believe that these people were just uh, primitive and just sort of dumb. No, no way. It's, it's no insane way. to me. And the proof is in the megalithic structures, Michael. You, you go see uh, Sacsayhuaman above Cusco in Peru, or you go to uh, Belbek in Lebanon or uh, some of the other massive megalithic sites, and they still don't have cranes or machines that could move blocks that big. So they obviously were working with some kind of technology that's still not entirely clear how they were doing it. Well, someone out there sort of knows that that man who made Coral Castle, he might have an answer. Uh-huh. Leonard. I mean, Leonard. Uh, that's yep. not his name. His name yes, was... Um, yes. Yeah. Have you been to that one yet? I have not. I wish to go there, though, one day. Well, one time I was speaking at a conference in Orlando, and I said, I got to see the Coral Castle. I've never been down there. And the host was so gracious. We did a two-day trip to go see it, and then one day trip to come all the way back. And it's amazing. It is the only megalithic building that's been constructed in modern times. The only yes. one. And this guy worked in the dead of night. He would never have anybody helping him. He insisted on being alone. And he was seen by some kids that spied on him holding these two cone-shaped devices in his hands and literally levitating these blocks. So the only clue he would get give when he was asked, how did you build this? Is he said, I knew the secrets of the ancient Egyptian builders. Yeah, he knew. So many people think he was employing uh, auditive levitation to move yes. these blocks, some of which are 33 tons down at Coral Castle. His name was Edward, not Leonard, by the way. Um, Edward Liskalian. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I figured that was his name. I had to look it up right now, and I was thinking, yeah, his name was Edward. And yeah, Cor Coral Castle, very amazing out there. In Florida, if you haven't been out there, definitely go out there and visit the site. Yes, these megalithic stones that weigh so damn much. And this guy was really small, and he was still able to accomplish things that no one else could. And for sure, he, you know what, uh, Brad, I think he was a Freemason as well. I'd say he got his knowledge from somewhere. I mean, can you just remember this from a past life? Well, perhaps. And he would work with no one. He had no assistants or no uh, mentors or anybody who could say, oh, yeah, I showed him everything he knows. He just worked solo. And he, he like I said, he's a real small guy, the typical 99-pound weakling. And he built the whole Coral Castle because he got jilted by his uh, – Oh, yeah. He called her the Sweet Sixteen, this yes. woman he was supposed to get married to <laughs> in the Baltic countries. And he came here to America and had to move down to southern Florida. And it's in Homestead, Florida, just about 20 miles east of Miami. And highly recommend it. Anybody gets down there, you got to go see the Coral Castle because it's the only megalithic site in this modern age. It's you really see amazing. what a you see what a broken heart does to a man, uh, Brad. You see, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Just got to go build a megalithic site. What the hell? Do you really think so that 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 was the reason why the real reason? Well, that's what he'd always say, and he even created in this megalithic complex all these different things, including an area where they could talk through this hole. So when him and the Sweet 16 would have this uh, inevitable fight between them, that they could both sit in their chairs and talk through this wall and work out their problems. And then there's heart-shaped megaliths and other things yeah, that are nice. devoted to the Sweet 16. But she never came out. He never saw her again. Cold. That's cold. Yeah. Hmm. Well, hopefully it doesn't get... Broken heart. Hopefully it doesn't get me too'd. 
well, cancel that place in today's yeah. world that Better happens to yes. have loved and lost and never loved at all poor guy i don't think he ever had a love of his life he was a lonely man in other words probably yep how sad a lot of time on his hands Oh, yes, and that's what he was able to accomplish, and he knew some things. He had some secrets, of course, and Brad, we're, we're sort of coming to a close here, Brad. I don't want well, to take I a... knew it'd be another great talk with you, Michael. Yeah, always, fun. Uh, well, time just shoots right by, doesn't it? It really does, and, you know, I had so many other things to talk to you about in terms of religion and cults and how all these sort of things are, these sort of, um, these sort of, uh, sort of, um, what am I trying to say here? You, there's so many of these elements that all come together, Brad, in other words. And, you know, we have so little time here to uh, discuss them and break them all down for everyone here. And yes, we did talk about plenty of esoteric things out there, plenty of um, things that have to do with what we are sort of facing right now um, in real time. We are actually seeing the work of occult practices by these world leaders, Brad, in real time. Oh, yeah, we sure are. And now that we see the magician's trick, how they actually go about fooling everybody from the different psyops they pull on a mass level to getting people basically hypnotized into believing what they're spewing out. But once you learn the magician's trick, how they pull the rabbit out of the sleeve and you go see the show the next day, You'll see exactly how they do it. And so the revelation of the method, how they're doing their things to the rest of us is their biggest fear that we're going to figure them out. And we are figuring them out. And I write books about it and you do a, a show about it virtually every time uh, exposing the madness of these globalists and this, this cabal, this deep state that has really gained the system to such a degree that all we can do at this point is just find out what they're up to. And we're in a, a state right now, Michael, it's a matter of self-defense. Knowing these subjects may actually save your life. They might. And ignore them at your own peril, is what I've been saying, because it'll come around and nip you in the butt if you don't see what they're up to and how they're poisoning us and doing everything else with that jabberdew that uh, there's a lot to be very suspicious of their motives. But the, the revelation of the method, or how the word occult just means that which is hidden, once you start to see how they do this stuff, like the magician's trick, you won't be fooled by it anymore. And then you'll make those changes in your lifestyle, not to use fluoride toothpaste, to not drink it out of the tap water, and uh, eat really good food, and be very mindful of, 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 of your body. And, and that is some of the esoteric subjects that I write about in Modern Esoteric, the book one in the three book series. And that includes also living the 200. These bodies are going for quite a long time, but boy, we're just being identified in so many different ways. Uh, we could almost do a whole show on that. Oh, yes. All the different ways are coming at us. That's pretty much what's going on. Um, the cabal, the elite, as you say, they definitely have control over the human race with these sort of uh, black magic rituals that they do that that uh, control the masses out there why we're all focused on amber heard and johnny depp <laughs> things don't matter whatsoever which by the way is what the flat earth is you notice how uh 15 20 years ago nobody was ever talking about this and it has been now found that the jesuits were putting out all these videos all these information uh, about 15 12 years ago 
and then it all started after that. So it's one big psyops to get us arguing over something that doesn't matter, like Johnny Depp's trial. It doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. But a lot of the topics we talked about tonight, Michael, really do matter. That's right. And I think your listeners are a sophisticated audience, and they can resonate with this material. Absolutely, absolutely. And by by the way, before I let you go, uh, the safety dog in the chat says, Brad, are you familiar with Event Tool 1? If so, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, uh, that, that was basically how they ushered in the whole uh, COVID. That was the summer of 2019 when they did the Event 201 and did a simulation about how everything's going to happen and change once we get this pandemic that we're all expecting to come. No, we're not. You know, that was in that... Uh, the Rockefeller document, the lockstep, that we're all expecting this pandemic. No, we're not. Oh, you mean if you launch it? Oh, yeah, then I guess we could expect it. And so that's what that uh, event 201 was, was just uh, a dry run for what these globalist lackeys would have to do to take their marching orders to uh, be prepared for how they're going to handle this one big psyops. It seems like it, right? It's a strange time to be alive, Brad, I would say. Oh, <laughs> I can't imagine it being any stranger, but oh my uh, God. here we are living through <laughs> it, trying to make sense of it. Definitely. Well, Brad, I do want to thank you for being a part of the program. I could talk to you easily for another hour. I've so much to say here, but yes, we are running out of time. And all these subjects, they all integrate with each other. They really do. And that is sort of the great work I see is uh, myself personally chronicling all these esoteric subjects in this pretty hefty three book set and I don't repeat myself. So to really take a deep dive into all these subjects has been such a learning experience. And you're absolutely right, Michael, they do all have this way of tying together. They all go back to Egypt and aliens, Brad. <laughs> and then the originally it was the mystery schools, which became the secret societies. And boy, it's been uh it's been said that 90% of all the subject matter that we could and we should be knowing about has been kept hidden from us. That's that it's just like thought. popcorn that you get, all this celebrity gossip that really means nothing. All the good stuff they keep from us. But now they have us distracted. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. We are perfectly distracted in this world. The lights are on, but no one's home, uh, Brad. It seems that's the case with many individuals out there rolling around through this world. Well... Maybe they come over to these esoteric subjects and the Michael Deacon program and they'll uh, come away with a larger knowledge base than they had before. We can only pray. Once again, Brad, thank you so much for being a part of the program. Loved having you here. Always entertaining. I always have a blast when you're on, Brad. Um, please feel free to uh, plug away uh, if you'd like or any final words. The floor is yours, Brad. Go ahead. Well, Michael, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. I think this is uh, the fourth or fifth time I've been on and every time we've covered new grounds and it's such a great experience. And I know you and I are such on the same page with a lot of these subjects. So if people want to know more about me or some of the conferences I'll be speaking at, and I'm basically at a different conference every month until October, um, go to bradolson.com, B-R-A-D-O-L-S-E-N.com, one word, and you can navigate around there and find out the other projects I'm working on. And if you want to just go uh, straight to the book site, that's cccpublishing.com, and that's a business I run, so I'm publishing other authors, including Michael Jaco's new book, Intuitive Warrior, has just shipped from the printer even before 
uh, it makes it into bookstores, so you can get a copy of that. CCC Publishing, or all our books are also ebooks. Uh, save a tree and half the price to do that. Of course, all my books are there as well, and anyone who orders a physical copy of one of my books, they come through my office here so I can sign copies for people on the way out. And uh, also have a YouTube channel called CCC Publishing or Esoteric Series. And I did the audio book for Modern Esoteric and Future Esoteric. And you could actually listen to those audiobook chapters and nice. watch the video creation. Yeah, so I do try to give away a lot of my content as well. When it comes to having print books, there is a cost in that. And uh, so that's like my premium content. But I uh, love doing these shows and talking to people and, and just get them excited and knowledgeable and knowing about what has been withheld from humanity because all that is now being revealed, but you gotta have to want it. You know what I mean? You have to desire to learn that information. And that's why these are esoteric subjects. Very nice. Very nice. Thank you so much uh, for being here, Brad, and spending your time with us all. We will do this again on the other side, my friend. Oh, you bet we will. Thanks again for having me on, Michael. It's you great got it. talking to you as well. Always an honor and pleasure. Talk to you again, Brad. Have a good night. Good night. And uh, there he goes, boys and girls. That was Mr. Brad Olson. It's Very nice. Always a good time to have him on on the program. And Deacon. Yes, for those that are just sort of uh, dropping in right now, we just talked to Mr. Brad Olson. It was a good time. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. And of course, if you have been listening since the beginning of this program, you would have noticed that we did not have Mr. Mike Hadius on here tonight. He is actually on assignment. Yes, he's on assignment doing some work. So we don't have Mr. Mike Hadius here tonight. I know. I know. He's not here, folks. I do miss Mike a lot. You know, I enjoy him being here, but tonight he had to work, folks. He couldn't be here and hang out with us and entertain all of you. So, of course, we had to get a, a guest here. We had to talk to Mr. Brad Olson, who I enjoy talking to. I wanted to talk to him about all these crazy subjects that we all love. And we'd like, we're entertained by these things. As we laughed, we cried. It was a good show. It was... Um, yeah, I, st I still got to play the piano here. I'm still quite sad. Very sad Mike is gone. But he'll be entertained by this last bit here, folks. He will appreciate this. But yes, no Mike here tonight. That's okay, though. We laughed, we cried, we had a great time. And of course, I do want to thank all of you out there for hanging out with me here tonight. It was a good time. We discussed a plethora of topics for your entertainment. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. And, of course, if you are listening to this, you guys are warriors. Yes, you out there listening to the sound of my voice. We are the chosen ones. We really are the echoes of the fallen. I respect every single one of you out there, and I can hear your voices. I can hear and feel your pain and glory. You are never alone. And I apologize to those out there who are calling in. Yes, I saw your phone calls coming in, but I was too slow to react. I'm sorry, I, I did see them coming in, but my God, I was so into the conversation, I even got lost in the conversation. Just thinking about all these things I wanted to ask Brad here. Yes, that happens sometimes. I'm not sure if you guys know about that sort of thing, where your mind sort of gets lost in the content. Much love to Michael and everyone listening. Yes, I 
appreciate that very much. Those of you in the chat room right now, I really like that. It would have been cool if I would have taken your phone calls and let you talk to Mr. Olsen here, but my God, the other laptop was set a little bit far away, so I can't even see that uh, popping in and out here. Yes, I have to fix that issue. My bad, folks, my bad. I am sorry. I truly am. I truly am. But yes, I do have much respect and love for all of you people out there that do listen in. Always awesome. And don't forget to take us on the road. Search the Michael Deacon program or just Michael Deacon wherever you listen to your shows, your podcasts, wherever it is, and you'll find the show. And we had a great time here. We were like a big, happy, dysfunctional family returning yet again for your entertainment here on uh, the 30th, April 30th, 2022, folks. Time is moving fast. Time is moving fast on the spinning ball, the shooting ball, shooting through the cosmos at, at an alarming rate. Life comes at you fast indeed. So hold on time, people. We have already entered uncharted territories or waters, whatever you want to sort of um, explain that one. Hunter's Jizz Crusted Laptop. Well, I was not expecting to read that here tonight. That is uh, pretty disgusting. Uh, thank you, Smokescreen Hassle. Well done, amigo. Yes, thank you for hanging out with us here. The Safety Doc, David, and El Taco Max, yes. Paradigm Shift Northern California. Oh, I like that. All the way from Northern California. I didn't even see that. Uh, cats and um, we had all kinds of people here. We had people you didn't even see here. And I do want to thank the mods that were hiding. They're out there listening, but keeping low a low profile. Much love to Michael and everyone listening. Yes, I read that already. Yes, David, I, I saw your uh, your messages here every now and then. Uh, that's uh, pretty funny. You are a rather funny guy there, David. And uh, for those that have been wondering, yes, I haven't been doing any shows yet over on Patreon, but that will change. We have the freight train coming up, so if you have not subscribed yet, to the Patreon series, please please do so now. You you got to. We're gonna have some fun out there with Mr. Jim Fetzer next. That's patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And oh my. I have no idea what Jim's gonna say. I really don't. He's gonna go off here and it will be pretty damn entertaining, that's for sure. I know he has plenty to say and Mike definitely coming back in here. He's got plenty to say, so we will be pretty busy here, so definitely sign up, patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And once again, folks, thank you so much for being a part of the program yet again. It was a good time. We had laughs, we cried, we sang in our heart, in our, in our little hearts. We all sang together here. And we clapped our hands and prayed to uh, Jesus here. That's what we did. Uh, speaking of which, I kind of feel like playing a sound drop here that we haven't played in a long time. If only I can find it. That's the problem. We we definitely need to do a, a little prayer together, folks. We we definitely need to do that. We haven't done that in, in a very long time. I feel sad that we have not done that. I feel like we need to. But all the sound drops are, are missing here for some odd reason, folks. Oh, but wait. We might have found one, folks. A, a classic for you. Wherever I go, God rules. Oh my. The White House as holy ground because I was standing there and where I stand is holy. No, a little Paula White. I couldn't find this one here. It was um 
to say no to President Trump. It was hiding from me, but we got it. It's back. We are in a spiritual war right now. Let every demonic network that has aligned itself against the purpose, against the calling of President Trump, let it be broken. Let it be torn down in the name of Jesus. You want me to tell you what my thoughts are? The thoughts of the King of Kings. The thoughts of the... All right, I don't want to hear her yell, by the way, but... No, we weren't looking for that sound drop. We were looking for the Paula White. I didn't want to ruin that little tidbit there for you. But yes, we couldn't find Paula White. It was scary. But we found it. We're back in business, folks. We can live another day. But once again, I do want to thank you out there for being a part of the program. Uh, folks, it was a good time. We were here for kind of a long time, but a good time nonetheless. And of course, MichaelDeacon.com. Please go there. And you'll find more information on the show. Oh, yes. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. We would appreciate that. Mike would appreciate that. And, of course, international listeners out there. I can't even talk right. I do want to thank all of you out there as well. I see your emails. Love that. Love your emails. The international listeners out there. Great people. Those of you in Canada, Germany, the UK, Australia. And, of course, those out there in Brazil. We see your messages, and we appreciate them truly. We really do. There's nothing more frightening than reality, as I like to say. I hope you well there wherever you are on this island Earth. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.